good morning. And uh, welcome to, to worship at Bullhelby. It's nice to see you along, folks. You're very welcome today. Uh, and well done for remembering the hour change. I'm sure there'll be another hundred people will be coming in an hour's time, and all will get a cup of tea, but that's fine. Um, just a few wee announcements uh, before we begin. Um, some of you will remember we had a we had a couple of American students a few years ago. Uh, we had Katie in 2015, and we had. Melissa in 2016 and today in Los Angeles Melissa is being ordained. Um, she's done all her studies, she went back to the state, she studied at Fuller Seminary and she's now been accepted and she's been ordained into the Presbyterian Church in the USA and she's starting an associate pastor's job uh, in Missouri. So if you want to tune into that, uh, it's at 10 o'clock tonight, the service, but I'll send you out the link um, through the emails and I'll put a Facebook link to it as well. So if you want to you know, be a part of that service and uh, those of you who knew Melissa well, I'm sure might want to do that, I'll send you the link. And I also thought it would be nice because she, she certainly thinks of her summer here as a big part of that formation that's led her into ministry. Um, we thought it would be nice maybe to take a wee collection from Melissa and buy her something Scottish that we can either send over to her or we're actually going to see her in the summer because her sister's getting married in London and we're going down to, uh, to the wedding. Um, so if you want to make a wee contribution to that, you can pass it to myself or to Alan over the next week and we'll take, we'll make next Sunday the last day for, for a collection and we'll get her something just to mark her ordination that we can pass on to her because we have been a big part of her journey and I know she would really uh, appreciate that. So um, please remember that either today or by next Sunday, or if you want to post something through the door in the manse, that would be fine too. Um, and then just to say that Coffee Haven is uh, starting back up again. That's going to be Tuesday, the 5th of April from 10 to 12. Uh, we've really missed it. It's, that's been a great focus for folk in the community over the last wee while. It would be lovely to kind of see folk back at that. So please do uh, spread the word around. Let folk know that Coffee Haven's beginning again. Tuesday, 5th of April, 10 o'clock in the Forsyth Hall. So those are all our announcements this morning. So we're going to begin our service in the words of hymn 166, Lord of all hopefulness. Let's worship God together.
Let's come before God in prayer now. Let us pray. Lord our God, you are the Lord of past, present and future. All things come from you and return to you. All things find their true home in you. We gather here today to remember the stories of the past and make the history of the people of faith a part of our story and the way that we see the world. We come to worship you in the present, singing, praying, learning, making connections between our faith and our everyday lives. And we come to commit the future into your hands, trusting in faith that whatever befalls, all will be well, because the future itself is held in your keeping. Lord, we come knowing that we need to come because like wayward children, we often go astray. Each one of us turning to our own way. We shun advice and guidance, the gentle hand that would restrain us, the words of warning spoken for our good. We sometimes flirt with danger, making poor choices that invite disaster. We think we know best, and we only think to call on you when we stumble and fall. Forgive us, Lord, and renew our minds, as in a moment of silence we make our own confession to you. Create in us a pure heart, living God, and renew a right spirit within us, that we might gladly follow and find in your company the way of peace. So hear these and all our silent prayers which we offer in and through the name of Jesus Christ, our friend and our Saviour. And in his name we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Our reading this morning is taken from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 15, We're reading verses 11 to 32, and Meg Duncan is going to read for us. The parable of the prodigal and his brother. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, 
Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and travelled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Amen. Thanks, Meg. The one to sing again is number 774. Jesus name above all names. And we'll remain seated to sing.
Let's pray together. Father, thank you that the, the core of the message that Jesus brought and that we are seeking to respond to in our own lives is that you are with us, that you are near us. Now, though we have this illusion of you being up there and us down here, the reality is that you're closer to us than the breath within our bodies or the blood that courses within our veins. And what is lacking is not your presence most of the time, but our attention. So thank you that we can give you that attention this morning in this time of worship and go back into our daily living conscious that you are with us in all things. So we pray, Father, that as we uh, hear this story again, one that we know so well, that you'll bring fresh insight as we study it today in a different way. And give us the resources that we need to live our lives in this world well and happily and glorifying you. So hear our prayers because we ask them in Christ's name. Amen. It was quite a mental shift back in 1996 when I made the shift from studying chemistry to studying theology. I'd been used to dealing with equations and formula and calculations, all very precise, and I'd been doing that for about 10 years. And then suddenly in theology, I was working in a world of opinions and views and arguments that weren't always black and white, although academic rigor was still expected. And I found it quite hard to make that adjustment in the beginning. I remember getting my first church history essay back after marking it. It had been about Columba bringing Celtic Christianity over the Irish Sea to convert all you heathen Scots. And seeing as I was now studying in the arts rather than in the sciences, I ended with what I thought was a a suitably poetic flourish, something about the light of the true faith finally dawning in the East. 63% said the lecturer. Some good points, but romantic touches best avoided. <laughs> that was the comment. I clearly had a lot to learn. Science tells us that the two halves of our brains play different roles in our thinking. The left side tends to deal with language and logic while the right side is more about imagination and emotion. And although many of us will have a bias toward one side or the other, which is what makes some of us nuclear physicists and others jazz musicians and artists, all of us need to work across both hemispheres if we're to have a rounded experience of life. We need language and logic to make our way in the world, but it wouldn't be much fun without that other complementary world of imagination and emotion. And for we in the Reformed tradition who place a high premium on words, it's good to remember that God is equally capable of using the sanctified imagination to lead us into the truths that we need to grasp. And there is a long, honourable spiritual tradition 
of using our imaginations as we engage with Bible stories to help us get beneath the surface and really hear what God is saying to us through them. And that's what we're going to practice a wee bit this morning. Because that approach is especially useful when we come to read stories that we are very familiar with, like the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm deliberately not putting up too many slides this morning because I want you to furnish the slides by using your imaginations. So what I'm going to do just now is read a part of the story again and I'm going to give you some time to try and prayerfully picture it in your mind's eye. And I'll give you some guidance that will help as you try to imagine the scene for yourself. So you're using that right side of the brain instead of the left side of the brain, just for a change. And once you have that picture, the next step, if you were doing this on your own, would be for you to study that scene that you've imagined, just as you would if you were in a gallery and studying a work of art. What do you notice about the scene that you have in your mind? And what do you think God might be saying to you as you study it? And to show you how that's done, I'll talk you through the picture that I had when I did that exercise myself and what God seemed to be saying to me as I reflected on it. So what I want you to try and picture is the beginning of the story as I read it to you, just in a couple of sentences. And I'd invite you now, and this might help you, just to close your eyes and to treat this almost as an exercise in prayer. And I think closing your eyes helps to keep the distractions away. So these are the two lines we're thinking about. There once was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to him, Father, give me my share of the property now. So I want you to try and picture that scene in your mind. There are no right and wrong answers here. Is just what you see. So don't overthink it. Where are they having this conversation? The younger son and the father. Is it outside or inside? Are they seated or standing? Is there anybody else around? Or are they alone? What do you see in their body language? Are they moving or static? Can you see either of their faces? What emotions do you read in their faces or in their movements?
I'll give you just a moment to store that image away because you might want to come back to it and think about it later. But you've just taken your first steps into what's called the imaginative contemplation of the gospel. But for now, and by way of example, here is how I saw things when I reflected on those words for myself. In my image, the Father and the Son are alone inside and seated at a table. The Father's wearing his robes and his head covering befitting a man of his status. And I can see his face. He looks gaunt and worried. His eyes are lowered and he isn't looking at the boy but just past him into the distance. The son is on the right hand side of the picture and he's wearing a red tunic and his brown curly hair. He's strong and full of vigour. He's ready to move. His back is towards us and we don't see his face but he's leaning across the table and if we could see his eyes I'm pretty sure they would be full on his father. There's a purposeful intensity about him. And it's just an impression, but it seems to me that as he's leaned over towards his father, the old man has moved away ever so slightly. That was my picture. Yours could be very different, and that's fine. As I sat with that picture for a wee while and reflected on it, here were some of the things that came to mind. I remembered something that we've all experienced. Times when we've been speaking with someone and we've realised that they're really not with us at all because their mind's completely elsewhere. You're chatting to someone at a function and even as you're speaking to them, their eyes are darting around the room. They're not paying a blind bit of attention to what you're saying. And I think there's some of that going on here. At first glance, it seems like the boy's looking intently at his father, giving him his full attention. But in reality, he's not with his father at all. He's looking right through him to this future that he wants to take a hold of. The old man doesn't really count. He's just a means to an end. An obstacle to be negotiated. What I read in the father's look is the realisation that this boy is already lost to him. He's sitting a foot, across, a foot away across the table, but he's already lost. And maybe the old man's eyes are fixed on the far distance because he knows that that is where his son's heart already is. What we're seeing here is the overarching story of humankind. We're born into the household of God, but we would much rather live in the kingdom of self because there we are the boss and nobody else. And what determines our eventual lostness or foundness is one thing only, which is our relationship with the Father. When we live connected with God, we're found, whether we're at the top of the social ladder or at the bottom, when we cut ourselves off from God and live only to ourselves, we're lost. 
regardless of who or what we might have in life. But the thing is, lostness of that kind is a tricky thing to spot. Here are the second few lines of the story as I pictured them. And although we won't go through that same imaginative exercise again, you might like to do it for yourself in your own time. So the story goes, he sold his part of the property and left home with the money. He went to a country far away where he'd wasted his money in reckless living. And here's the image that came to mind for me for that bit, and it's a modern image. It's night time, and a group of five revelers are walking through the streets in a line, arms around each other's shoulders. The boys are wearing tuxedos and the girls are dressed to kill in sparkly sequined tops. It looks a wee bit like a Christmas night out. And in the middle is our man, head back, eyes shining and howling at the moon. They're having a whale of a time. They don't look lost, anything but. They're having a ball. That quotation of George Best came to mind. I spent a lot of money on booze, birds and fast cars and the rest I just squandered. Very often, lostness doesn't look like lostness. Listen to this passage from Job 21 and ask yourself, who wouldn't want these words to be said about them? This is what Job says. They grow old and increase in power. They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows calve and do not miscarry. They send forth their children as a flock, their little ones to dance about. They sing to the music of tambourine and harp. They make merry to the sound of the flute. They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. Now, who wouldn't want that for their families? Those are the kind of things that we aspire to, and there's nothing wrong with that. And yet it might surprise you to know that the people that Job is describing here, he says, are not the righteous, but the wicked. That's describing, in Job's experience, the wicked. Now to us, the wicked are people who do evil things. But in biblical usage, that word has a different sense. The wicked are those who live their lives completely without reference to God. Those who are fully paid up citizens of the kingdom of self. They spend their years in prosperity, says Job. They go down to the grave in peace, yet they say to God, leave us alone. We've no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? But their prosperity is not in their own hands, says Job. So I stand aloof from the counsel of the wicked. Lostness doesn't always look like lostness. But if all our energy and aspirations are channeled into shoring up the kingdom of self, we're building on sand. Because our prosperity, our health, even our lives are not in our own hands. We can lose them in the twinkling of an eye. And we need a firmer foundation than that to build our lives on. 
Our man in the story realised that the hard way. The money ran out and so did the good times. And we need a new image for that part of the story. He went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him out to his farm to take care of the pigs. He wished he could fill himself with the pods that the pigs ate, but nobody gave him anything to eat. I imagine him out there on the hillside, the tuxedo's long gone, and so is that aura of strength and invincibility. He's sitting in his backside, leaning against a fence post, head in hands, and staring at the ground, thinking, how on earth did I get here? He's stuck, and he's desolate. The kingdom of self has collapsed in on itself, and all the dreams that lured him away from his father's love are revealed for what they are, empty illusions. The strange thing is, as the boy sits there, head in hands and desolate, but wondering if the father might welcome him back, he looks lost, but for the first time in the story, he's actually on the way to being found. And that leads us to the last picture. He was still a long way from home when his father saw him. His heart was filled with pity and he ran and threw his arms around his son and kissed him. And the thing I noticed most when I tried to visualise that scene is that here for the first time the boy is really seeing his father. In the first image he was looking through him to this future that he wanted. Then he was looking up to the skies thanking his lucky stars for the good time he was having. On the hill with the pigs, he was staring down into the void. But now, at last, his full attention finally comes to the face of his father. Now I see him approaching with his head held down and his eyes lowered, expecting the worst. But the father runs to him and greets him and hugs him and kisses him. And then he grabs his face in my understanding and forces the boy to look up at him, to look into his eyes. And when he does, all that the boy sees there is relief and joy that this beloved son has finally come to his senses and come home. And that boy knows that he's forgiven before a word is even spoken. And as I've said before, maybe at the end of the story it turns out that the lost son isn't the younger one who went wandering off, but the elder one who remains lost and outside at the end, trapped in his own unreasonable bitterness. We have to hope that there's redemption for him too beyond this story. I hope that you're getting through that wee exercise a flavour for this way of approaching 
scripture. The power of the sanctified imagination opening up God's truth for us as we picture these stories as well as hearing them. We all know from our life experience that words can just overflow and, and lose their meaning. But a piece of music, a piece of art, a poem can connect with our hearts in powerful, powerful ways. I think we need to allow the right side of our brains to speak to our souls as much as the intellectual left side. And I wonder as we close if you felt yourself somewhere in that story this morning. Have you been so focused on what's coming for you down the line that you miss the reality of a loving Heavenly Father who's with you right now in the present? Are you so busy enjoying the good things in life that all thoughts of God have really got pushed to the side? Are you in a spell where you're sitting desolate with your head in your hands, wondering how on earth you got to this place that you find yourself in? Or are you lifting your eyes in grateful disbelief that the very one you despise and rejected could still welcome you home with open arms? Wherever we are today, we might well be in a different place next week, next month, or next year. Because that's what it is to be human. We're mutable, we change. But our solace this morning is that wherever we find ourselves on the broad canvas of life, the love of the Father for us never wavers. Not even for a moment. He wills our return. He waits for it. He longs for it. But he'll never force it. Because it's only those who know they're lost who are ready to be genuinely found. Amen. We're going to Sing together again, and it's hymn number 553, Just As I Am.
Alan Jeffrey is going to lead us now in our prayers for others. Let us come together in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we come before you today, not just to worship and praise you, but to bring our concerns and joys to you. We know that when your people are gathered, you hear their prayers and act on them, in your way, not ours. Lord, we have heard the story of the prodigal son, a story well known to us, one son asking for a share of his father's estate, which would be due to him on his father's death. He couldn't wait. He wanted it now. To this day, there are people who can't wait until they can afford stuff. To some it is, give me, give me, give me. Now, now, now. Without any thought of the consequences placed on others. Selfish greed, no care or compassion. His son squandered his inheritance, reaching the lonely depths of despair, feeding pigs and wishing to eat their swill. However, when he remembered his life back home, he returned to a tumultuous welcome from his father, a son lost and now found. Such joy and forgiveness from his father, a man who showed how God himself must feel when a wayward Christian changes and returns to him. If one of our children made such a request of us, what would we do? Would we say, yes son, here, take your full entitlement? Or would we say, no son, you'll have to wait for your share, just like your brother? Which begs the question, how much do we really love our children? Do we love them like God himself loves each and every one of us? Dear Lord, if there are broken relationships in our families, show us how to reach out and effect a repair, not only to bring our family together, but also to bring us all closer to you. Lord, we give thanks that you bring order to the world for the way you bring the seasons in the correct way. For the way you paint the ground with snowdrops, crocuses and daffodils, in that order, every spring. The geese fly north to their summer home, while ospreys and other migrants like swallows return to our shores before returning south after breeding. These elements of life bring joy to our hearts. We can rely on you. However, Lord, we also live in a sinful world where man is engaged in the most distasteful war as a result of the twisted greed of one man. We raise to you now the people of Ukraine who are resisting a bully, trying to take over their land in a most cruel and sadistic way. We beg you to intervene by bringing a change of thought to the Russian people and their leader who is now so isolated from the rest of the world that he can only face defeat. We ask for a peaceful end to this bloodshed. We also bring to you people throughout the world 
who are oppressed physically and psychologically by dictators who wish to embellish their own wealth and stature. Lord, we pray for peace in the troubled minds of people who are deeply concerned for their future due to the rising costs of everything from food, fuel and taxation to the lack of employment, good health and amicable relationships. We also raise Paul and his family to you to encourage him in his work for over the past difficult years due to COVID. Wrap your arms around his family and bring them peace and a renewed enthusiasm to continue, to continue your work here in Belhelvie. Jesus is the truth, the life and the way and it is in his precious name that we ask all these things. Amen. Thanks, Sam. The closing hymn this morning is number 361, Forgiveness is Your Gift. to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore.